Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Luke, the Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 13. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 13. As we continue with the Gospel Record of Luke, we can see that Jesus Christ has been on his path going towards Jerusalem. And he's taking his time, but he's running to a lot of opposition, a lot of obstacles, a lot of people who are against what he is trying to do. And they set trap after trap after trap, hoping to stumble the Lord Jesus Christ, hoping to mess him up. And once again, we're going to see this happen again, where some people come with the purpose of trying to trip the Lord Jesus Christ up to be able to use his words against him. And we find our way to the gospel record of Luke in chapter number 13. The gospel record of Luke chapter 13, and notice with me starting at verse 1. The gospel record of Luke chapter 13 in verse 1. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you nay. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he to the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that, it shall be cut down. And with this, we have what is commonly called the parable of the fig tree, which we see in verse number six. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible to put things together, in verse number six, it says that he spoke this parable. And in verse number six, it also says a certain man had a fig tree. And this is commonly called the parable of the fig tree. The parable of the fig tree. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you now, I'm asking that you would open the Bible in a special way and that you would help us to see our responsibility. We could see what is expected unto us and that we can do what you have asked us to do in that purpose of bearing fruit. I'm asking that you would give us great wisdom and discernment. Open our eyes that we may see with spiritual eyes and see your goodness, see your graciousness, see your patience and allow that to come to bring us even closer to you that you can do your work in our lives 
Lord, we need you now. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the Lord Jesus Christ has been working with people, some of the company came with him with some breaking news. Notice with me in verse number one. There were present at that season some that told of, uh, told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So these people come to Jesus and notice who it is that's speaking. It says in their midst, it said there were present at that season some. Some. So some people came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, Jesus, did you hear the news? Did you hear what happened? That Pilate, he went up and he killed some Galileans and they mingled their blood with the sacrifice. So here's the scenario that they portray. That there were some Galilean Jewish people that were at uh, and trying to sacrifice some animals in the Jewish custom. And in the middle of their sacrificing, what happened is that Pilate sent some soldiers in and killed all of them that were in there. And then their blood began to be mixed in with the blood sacrifice that was offered to God. And just a horrible tragedy. It would be equivalent of saying that our current president had come in and sent, or the governor had come in and get, sent the National Guard and came into a church like this and shot up all of us and then put our bodies into the baptism tank. And it would just be totally. Could you imagine that happening? Could you imagine the breaking news that would occur as that report would, would happen? And so this is scandalous. This is some big things. And it's doubt that it even happened. Josephus was the first century historian who kept good records. And he records three different times where there was in this time period where there was an atrocity that happened by the government or by the people and he put down the three rebellions. Now, this sounds plausible because Pilate certainly did everything he could to provoke the Jewish people and it sounded plausible because the people were looking for a reason to, uh, to be mad at the Jewish government or the Roman government and it sounded plausible because the people were looking for a Messiah. Not a Messiah to save them from their sins but a Messiah who would save them from the government. And the idea here is this, this atrocity happened. This thing happened. And the idea is they're going to report it to Jesus. And they're hoping that Jesus will declare the march on Rome. That he would declare this march on Jerusalem. And get rid of the Roman government. And so they give this information. But again we have to look at the source and we have no record in history. We know that we don't trust history implicitly. But with an atrocity like this, it should have at least made something, especially with historians taking the time. And so, they have this breaking news. Of course, we're kind of familiar with the idea of fake news. And we're a little bit familiar with news reports being exaggerated for the purpose of riling up the people and trying to get a response from the people. So, this is not new methods that have been come up in our day. They even tried it in Jesus' day with this breaking news. Did you hear about this atrocity that happened? Jesus, you're a Galilean. This is one of your people. And one of your kinfolks has died. And, and they've killed him and they sacrificed. This is a horrible, this is a tragedy. Jesus, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do? And they're looking at him expectantly. They almost expect him to stand up 
dust himself off and say, boys, this is what we've been waiting for. March to Jerusalem. They're waiting for this. All right, is this what he's going to do? Or perhaps, maybe they weren't trying to rile up Jesus for the purpose of their own actions. Maybe they were trying to get Jesus to say something about Pilate and the Roman government. So they could go back to Pilate and say, hey, you know that guy who's out in the middle of the wilderness? Who's gathering up all those followers? You know what he's saying about you now? And so whatever the scenario is, and by the way, it's conjecture either way. It doesn't say what their motives are. The report has been filed. The response is now being awaited. What are you going to do when you find out this atrocity occurs? What are you, how are you going to respond? How are you going to condemn him? What are you going to do with this breaking news story? Well, notice what Jesus does in response to hearing this breaking news. Verse number 2. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that the Galileans were sinners above all Galileans, because they suffered such things? I tell you nay, but except you repent, ye all likewise perish. Now, the mindset for the... uh, the world back then, is that when atrocities like this occurred, it occurred because these people were great sinners above everyone else and God was taking them out. That God allowed it to happen because they were the worst sinners in all the land and God just happened to gather them together to get rid of them at the same time. But that's not always so. We know that the rain falls upon the just and the unjust alike. That when accidents occur, the person causing the accident doesn't say, time out, hey, are you a righteous person? Are you good to your wife? Are, are, are you, do you pay your taxes? There's no interview. Atrocities happen regardless of who is there. And so Jesus looks and says, listen, I suppose you think those Galileans that died in this story were worse than all the rest of the Galileans. Is that what you think? But notice what Jesus says. I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Now, that's not what they're expecting at all. They're expecting a march on Rome. They're expecting some sort of word for Jesus. And Jesus said, wait a second. Do you think they're sinners more than you are? I say, unless you get right with God, unless you likewise perish, you're going to die too. What? Now, maybe I could equivalent this. Most of us who are older remember the tragic events of September 11th over 20-something years ago. So let's just imagine that someone comes. Let's imagine that it's a couple weeks after September 11th, a couple days after September 11th. Remember President Bush had called the religious leaders and Senate, and they all stood up on the, on the, uh, on the steps and And sang together, God bless America. You remember that? So imagine that some preacher had got up and said, Listen, do you suppose the people who died in the Twin Towers were sinners more than everyone else? Yea, I say unto you, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. How do you think that message would have went? And yet, that's exactly what Jesus did. He says, listen... Unless you get right with God, you're going to perish too. He turned the tables on him and said, you need to get right with God. Can't do anything about those people who died. But are you right with God? This word repent is an interesting word. Because if you study the very first recorded message of Jesus, his first message is repent. 
for the kingdom of God is at hand. If you look at the very last message that Jesus preaches inside of the New Testament, Revelation chapter 3 speaks to a church and says, repent. Repent. And all the way through the Bible, Jesus has the same phrase. Repent! Repent! What does it mean to repent? Well, if Jesus pre preaches this message over and over and over, don't you think we should at least know something about this idea of repent? Maybe it's important enough because that was the message of Jesus throughout his entire ministry to repent. To repent. What does it mean to repent? The word repent literally carries the idea of a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. It's not just a change of mind, but it's a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. It is recognizing yourself as you truly are. Who are you? You are a sinner. Every single one of us. There are none righteous, no, not one. And because of our sin, we've offended a holy, righteous God and we deserve punishment, every single one of us. But Jesus died and paid the price for you. And the idea of repenting is coming to the place where I recognize I'm a sinner. And because of my sin, I've offended a holy, righteous God. I deserve hell. That's a hard thing to admit. But to repent is to say, I can't do anything to get myself out of hell. I can't do anything to free myself. I can't do anything to pay my wage. My only hope is to accept Christ and allow Him to do something in me. I can't do it. I'm the problem. I'm the mess. But I can't fix it. I have to accept God and His promises and allow Him to do a work. And the Bible is very clear that you get to heaven by repentance. By recognizing that you're a sinner. And that you've offended a holy righteous God. Why is it that so many people can claim to be Christians but not live like a Christian? Because they haven't repented. They haven't realized how awful their sin truly is. They haven't recognized what a debt they owe God. Repent. Repent. Notice as Jesus continues it in verse number 4. Or those 18. He says, you want to talk about breaking news? How about something else that happened? Or those 18 upon whom the Tower of Siloam fell. The Tower of Siloam was a special well that was a special project for Herod, the king at the time. And during this construction process, 18 people died in the middle of this construction. Or those 18 upon whom the Tower of Siloam fell and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all the men that dwelt in Jerusalem. Now again, he said, listen... You don't have any idea of how long you're going to live. You don't know when your time is. These people didn't die because they were more horrible sinners than everyone else who lived in the city. Amen. It was their time. And you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You need to repent or you are going to perish. And you're not going to have any hope after you perish. You don't know when that tomorrow is. Now's the time to get right with him. Now with this, he breaks in from this as he's talking about these breaking news stories. And he's telling them they need to repent. What happens, Jesus then turns to the parable of the fig tree. And with this, we understand that the purpose of any fruit bearing tree is to bear fruit. So with this, we see there's three things that the Word of God tells us about this bearing fruit. Starting with this parable of the fig tree, we see first of all our personal accountability of fruit bearing. The personal accountability for fruit bearing. Now as Jesus Christ is talking to these people, he's telling them, Yay, 
you, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. You understand that repentance is a personal responsibility. You cannot repent for someone else. You cannot accept Christ for another family member, for another friend, for a loved one, for a parent, for a wife, for a, a husband. You could only accept Christ for yourself. And you could only get right with God for yourself. At the same time, bearing fruit is also your personal responsibility. No one else can bear fruit for you. You were created for a reason and that reason was to bear fruit. Notice as he goes on in verse number 6. He spake also this parable, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon, and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and find none. Now, fig trees are a type of uh, fruit-bearing plant that takes a couple years before they start bearing fruit. And so, in the third year is expected that they are starting to bear fruit, that you could see something coming from them. And so this man had a vineyard, and he is a very expensive vineyard, and the land is premium where he's at. And so he comes, and he's tasked someone to take care of this, to bear fruit. And so he comes to the plant after three years and does an inspection. Everything else is growing, but not this plant. And he looks at it and says, it's not growing. So he goes to the person who's in charge of taking care of the plant, of making it bloom. And notice what he says in verse 7. Then he said unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? He says, cut it down. It's wasting space. We could put something else that will bear fruit. Why are we allowing this plant that's not bearing fruit, why are we allowing it to occupy this space? Now, think about this. We know this parable is, of course, talking about us. And we have the personal responsibility of bearing fruit. Every Christian has the responsibility to bear fruit for themselves. You can't bear fruit for someone else and someone else can't bear fruit for you. You have the expectation that your life is going to bear fruit. And so the person who's in charge goes to the dresser, get rid of this. It's not bearing fruit. It's wasting ground. Let's get rid of it and let's find another plant put it here, that will bear fruit. Notice, if you don't mind, the response in verse number 8. And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. So here is the dresser that says, listen, I know it's not bearing fruit now, but let me do some more work on it. Let me dig about it. Let me prune it a little bit. Now, by the way, this digging and dunging is a lot of work. He says, I'm taking a lot of work on this one plant. I'm going to cut off some things, prune some things that don't belong on this plant. 
I'm going to dig out in the, and I'm going to try to get the roots so they could get the nutrients they need. So it gets access to the water when it comes. I'm going to dung it. I'm going to fertilize it. I'm going to give it every reason for it to succeed. And if he doesn't bear fruit in another year, then we'll deal with that issue now. And what we see here is that there's a great patience that God has. That God has every expectation that every person bears fruit. But if you're not bearing fruit, I'm so thankful that God does be patient with us. Remember that patience is not forever. There's a time where God is going to disturb things. That's that idea of digging. That in order to change the future, you have to disturb the present. And there's a disturbing work that God does in the life of a believer to try to get them to bear fruit, to try to change some things in their life, to try to make them uncomfortable, to try to make things where it's not working. So they have to trust him. That's that digging work. Then he gives that manure. He dungs it so that way you can have as much success as you possibly can. He tries to give you more word of God. He tries to get you to read the word of God. He tries to do things in your life so you are watered and fed and nutrient and planted and blooming so you can bear fruit. I'm so thankful that we have a God who is patient, a God who loves us. But we see here that there is an expectation. There's an, a personal accountability for fruit bearing, that every born again believer <coughs> is expected to bear fruit. And if you're not bearing fruit, you're just occupying space when something else can be done. Now, with this personal accountability of fruit bearing, I want to show you something else. Notice the privilege of fruit bearing. The privilege of fruit bearing. With this, let's go back to the book of Isaiah and let's see God used this same illustration in the Old Testament. Notice with me in Isaiah chapter number 5. Isaiah chapter number 5. Now, in the gospel record of Luke 13, we have the parable of the fig tree. Once again, in Isaiah chapter 5, we also have a parable of the fig tree. But notice what God does personally. In Isaiah chapter 5, notice with me in verse 1. Now will I sing. I'm so thankful that God sings to us. Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. Well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. So notice, here's someone who owns a vineyard and it's on a very fruitful hill. Very much nutrients. Everything it can do to succeed. It's not in a desert. It's not in a shady place. It's not in a marshland. It is in a very fruitful hill. The nutrients are there. Verse number two. And he fenced it. And gathered out the stones thereof. And planted it with the choicest vine. And built a tower in the midst of it. And also made a wine press therein. And he looked at it that it should bring forth grapes. And it brought forth wild grapes. So here's the story. Here's a man who has brought a vineyard. And he's made this plant for the purpose of making great grapes. And so the man fences around it. So that way the animals can't come and disturb the plant. That's, that's important. 
You don't want the deer to come in. You don't want the rabbits to come in. So it's protected. I'm so thankful for God's protection. And then what he did is he gathered out the stones. Remember we talked about the parable of the, the soils? And he got rid of the, the stones that would keep the roots from growing. He got rid of the stones that would occupy the ground. So that way the roots can grow freely without any hindrances. And God has done a work in our life trying to prepare it. Trying to make it so the soil is ready to receive the plant. So it's protected. The soil is prepared. Notice this. And planted it with the choicest vine. We're going to talk more about that choicest vine in a second. But here is the best vine. It's not the worst vine. It is the best vine. And he built a wine press therein. Why do you build a wine press? Because you're expecting a crop of grapes, right? He says, there's an expectation. I've already built it planning on this vine to make fruit. But notice what it says. And he looked forth that it should bring forth grapes... And it brought forth wild grapes. Now, domesticated grapes are very sweet. That's what you buy from the store. Wild grapes are sour and nasty to eat. You you wouldn't want to eat them. And he says, instead of getting sweet grapes, instead of getting the fruit that I wanted, I got wild grapes fruit. I got fruit that's not edible. I got fruit that's not usable. I got fruit that I could not, did not desire. So notice what God does. Verse number three. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and, and my vineyard. Verse number four. What could have been done more to my vineyard? That I have not done in it. Wherefore when I looked at it. It should bring forth forth grapes. It brought forth wild grapes. Now that is a haunting question. God looks at Christians. Who are not bearing fruit. And says. What more. Could I have done. God has put protection around you. He's helped prepare your soil. He has given you the best place. He's given you the choicest vine to be attached to. He has done everything he can. He's dug on that soil. He's dunged the soil. What more does God have to do for you to bloom? What more does God have to do for you to bear fruit? That's a haunting question. You realize that God has done so much for you. He's given you every way to succeed. Then why is it that you're not growing the fruit that you are expected to grow? That is a good question. Notice verse 5. And now go to it. I tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof and it shall be eaten away eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. Now, let me just be honest that both of these parables of the fig tree is directly talking about Israel. And think of everything that God has done to Israel. Everything he could to make Israel succeed. He's protected Israel. He's worked with it. He's given them preachers. And yet, Israel failed over and over. We know that Israel, the country, was broken up into two um, 
and to two nations, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Israel. Because of their disobedience, the northern kingdom of Israel was destroyed in 722 BC by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom of Israel, Judah, was destroyed in 586 BC by the Babylonians. And God allowed the people to come back. And he allowed them to try to learn their lesson. And he tried to help them. And then he sent Jesus to try to, and they rejected Christ. And then in 70 AD, Jerusalem and Judea was destroyed once again, this time by the Roman government. And God said, what more could have I done? I've done everything I could. I sent my son. What more could have I done? I've dunged. I've digged. I've given you good soil. I've given you protection. What more could I have done? Now, for some people in here who's not serving the Lord, who's not bearing fruit, and I'll define fruit bearing in just a second. May I ask you a question? What more does God have to do? What more does he have to do to get your attention? He's done so much for you. He's given you every reason to succeed. He's given you every advantage for you to grow. What more does he have to do? Well, let's define our terms. What are we talking about bearing fruit? Turn with me to the gospel record of John chapter 15. <clears throat> I think it's always good to define our terms. And there's no better way of defining our terms than letting Jesus explain. What does God mean? Now, of course, we are not Israel. And the parable of the fig tree was a direct uh, purpose for addressing Israel. But there's still an application for us that there is an expectation that we bear fruit. And God has given us every advantage by His Son and by His Holy Spirit. What does it mean to bear fruit? Notice with me in the Gospel record of John chapter 15. <clears throat> the Gospel record of John chapter 15, notice with me in verse 1. I am the true vine, my Father is the husbandman. So here we have the roles. God's the husbandman. His job is to prepare the soil. His job is to give the nutrients. His job is to do everything he can to make the vine grow. Remember earlier we saw that the choicest vine was put in there? The choicest vine is Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the choicest vine. Notice with me in verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. The whole purpose of a fruit-bearing plant is to produce fruit. And God says, listen, every branch that's plugged into Christ that's not bearing fruit, it's going to be purged. Remember that parable of the fig tree that we had saw later in the gospel record of Luke? God says, if it's occupying ground and it's not bearing fruit... Get rid of it. Purge it. Get rid of it. Now those branches that are bearing fruit, he's going to purge it. What does that mean? He means he cuts off some of the things. He gets rid of some things off of it so that way the plant could bloom even more. He gets rid of some unneeded things that would be in the way of that branch bearing fruit. Notice with me verse 3. Now ye are clean through the word. 
which I have spoken to you. How is it that we bear more fruit? God's word. God's word is the nutrient we need. It's how God waters us is through his word. By the way, if you're not in God's word, you cannot bear fruit. There is no such thing as bearing fruit if you're not in God's word. You cannot be a spiritual person without first being a scriptural person. You say, preacher, I really want to bear fruit. You know what I'm going to tell you? Read more of God's word. That's the water that waters the plant. And if you haven't been in God's word, you've been drying out. And a dried up branch cannot bear fruit. You need God's word. Notice verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except you abide in me. So now we're talking about botany things. So if you can imagine a vine or a tree branch. Let's use a tree branch or a trunk of a tree. And then you have the branches that come from the trunk of the tree. If you were to cut that tree, you would see that there are actually vessels that are going through the tree trunk, going to the tree branches. We call them the phylum and the xylem. Ah, it doesn't sound right. Good. It's all right. Botany things. I hate botany. But we, we learn the things that we have nutrients that go from the roots through the uh, trunk to the branches. And that, that branch, if you cut it off and sit there and say, all right, go ahead and bloom, it cannot bloom unless it is first grafted and put on the branch, the, the trunk. And if it's not on the trunk, that branch will die. Jesus said, you abide in me and I abide in you. That we're put together and you could bear fruit. But if you're unplugged from me, if you're not getting the nutrients from me, you will die and not bear fruit. That makes it quite simple. That we understand that our abiding in Christ is an important part of us bearing fruit. Verse number five, or verse six rather. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them in the fire and they are burned. When a branch falls off a tree, you can't do anything back. It just dries up and you burn it in the fireplace. You burn it to keep warm. That's all it's good for is to be burned. Verse 7, if ye abide in me and my words, and there's that words again, and if my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Now we bring to something else the purpose of bearing fruit. We talked about our personal responsibility of bearing fruit. We talked about the privilege of bearing fruit. Now let's see the purpose of bearing fruit. The purpose of bearing fruit. All right, we're defining our terms now. Notice this. If we bear fruit, God is glorified. Fruit is, by the way, is not the goal. God is the goal. But if we're abiding in Christ, we will bear fruit. And so we start off the water that produces the fruit is abiding in Christ. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done to you. You know what we learn in verse number 7? That if we're abiding in Christ as we ought, we will be seeing answers to prayer. If you're not seeing regular answers to prayer, it shows your lack of abiding in Christ. That one of the evidences that you're abiding in Christ is continual answers of prayer. This is what the Bible said, not me. And this is what the Bible said. 
What we're doing is we're understanding how are we grafted. What, what does this include? Well, you have to have the Word of God. It is the water that waters everything. You cannot survive without the Word of God. Someone said, can I be a Christian without the Bible? Sure, but you can't be a good one. There's no such thing as a strong Christian who is not in their Bible. No such animal. You have to be in the Bible for yourself. Notice if you don't mind verse 8. We see the glory from the fruit. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Let's define what we mean here now. As we bear fruit, we are going to see disciples. What do you mean, preacher? Well, listen. What is the fruit of Christ? Well, people getting saved. What is the fruit of a Christian? We have in science something called the law of biogenesis that states every healthy organism reproduces after itself. Every healthy organism reproduces after itself. So if I plant corn in the ground, am I going to get a cat? If I plant corn in the ground, am I going to get a whale? What am I expecting to get out of it? Corn. The law of biogenesis, every, every healthy organism reproduces after itself. Well, the same thing is true of you. You reproduce what you are. You don't reproduce necessarily what you want. You reproduce what you are. And we see that through discipleship. So we understand that there are two things that come out. That the fruit of a Christian is another Christian. How do I know that I'm a healthy Christian? You're seeing people saved. Listen, every healthy organism reproduces itself. Unhealthy organisms do not reproduce themselves. If you're not seeing some people saved, there is something wrong somewhere. Your answer is not necessarily more activity. It's to be plugged into Christ more. Abiding in Christ. Remember, fruit bearing is not the goal. God is the goal. But it is a byproduct of the goal. It is evidence that I'm abiding in Christ and that I'm getting the nutrients that I need and that I'm abiding in Him and He is working with me and He does the bearing of the fruit through me. Verse number 8, herein is my Father glorified. How is He glorified? That you bear much fruit. <clears throat> Notice that much fruit. There's an expectation that we'll not just bear some fruit. He wants us to bear much fruit. Notice again, if you don't mind, in verses 9 and 10, we could see this love shown by fruitfulness. Verse number 9, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If Ye keep my commandments. There's that word of God again. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Now we're learning. How do we abide in Christ? How do we abide in Him? By keeping. Not just reading, but keeping His commandments. Being obedient to what God has given us to do. And we're abiding in Him. And it's His strength and His glory that will come through. And He will reproduce Himself through us. As... If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. It's all about our relationship with Christ. 
You know someone who doesn't read their Bible is someone who does not love the Lord. Someone who doesn't obey the Bible is someone who does not love the Lord. The Bible says, how do we pr prove that we love Him? Keep His commandments. This is what it means to abide in Christ, is to abide in His Word. To be in it. To soak in it. To let it wash us clean. To let it give us the nutrients we need. That we need to be abiding in Him. Remember Jesus said in the gospel record of Matthew. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If you're not fishing for men, it's because Jesus didn't do, a making pro didn't do the making process. And the reason why he didn't do this making process is because you are not following him. Same thing. Our goal is not to bear fruit. Our goal is to abide in Christ. And as we abide in Christ, we will bear fruit. If we're plugged into him, we will bear fruit. This is the Bible. Now, I understand this isn't a popular message, but neither was Jesus when he said, Hey, likewise repent. But let me tell you, this is a necessary message. Because what more does God have to do in your life? He's given you a church that preaches the Bible. He's given you a pastor that's decently competent in studying the Bible. He's given you a fellowship of people that encourage each other. He's given us relative protection. He's given us grace and mercy. He's allowed us to have a Bible of our own. What more does God have to do in your life? He does a work. He does a disturbing work to try to get our attention. He does all kinds of things. What more does God have to do? Remember, there's a great danger of not bearing fruit. That God says, you're just wasting space. I could use someone else here. I could do something else here. Now, let me tell you, that's dangerous. That's a warning that comes from God. Now, God is very patient. You know the reason why you're still living right now? You want to know why you're hearing a message like this, and even though you may not have been bearing fruit? It's because God's trying to give you some time where he works in your life. And he's trying to do everything he can to try to help you be successful in what God has given you to do. That every healthy organism reproduces itself. Are you healthy? Are you abiding in Christ? Are you in God's word faithfully and daily? Are you being obedient to those things that God has given you to do? Jesus is the one who created us. And he created us to bear fruit. And if he created us to bear fruit, he has every expectation that we will bear fruit. So it comes up to this question. The question is, is not necessarily... Are you bearing fruit? As much as it is the question, are you abiding in Christ? Are you plugged into Him? Is He your goal? Is He what you're chasing after? Is He the one that you're trying to please? Is He the one you're plugged into? Let me tell you, fruit bearing is a byproduct. Your goal is God. And if you're plugged into God the way that you ought to, you will, you will, you will bear fruit. So once again, dear friend, how is your Bible reading? 
Or maybe perhaps we need to take another step back even further. Are you even plugged into Christ? Do you know for sure that your sins are forgiven? Do you know for sure that they're washed away? If you know that, how's your Bible reading? How is your obedience to your Bible reading? Well, how do I know if it's good enough? Are you seeing answers to prayer? Are you seeing people come to know Christ as their Savior? That's how you know if you're reading enough Bible. It's how you know if you're obeying enough Bible. Every Christian was created for the purpose of bearing fruit. And God has every expectation of you bearing fruit. The haunting question that God asks is, What more could have I have done? He has done so much for us. We are set up to succeed. If we don't succeed, it is not God's fault because He's done everything He could. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.